0: and thank you for standing by. Welcome to Crown Capital's Q1 2021 Results Conference Call. Please note that today's call contains forward-looking statements within the meaning of the applicable Canadian securities legislations. Forward-looking statements involve known and unknown risks and uncertainties, as well as other factors that may cause actual financial results, performance or achievements to be materially different from estimated future results performance or achievements expressed or implied by those forward-looking statements for a description of the risks associated with crown's business please refer to the company's filings for q1 2021 at cdar.com following the call we will conduct a question and answer session if at any time during this call you need assistance please press star zero for the operator and i would like to turn the conference over to mr chris johnson please go ahead sir
1: Great, thank you Operator and good morning and welcome to today's call. I'm joined as usual by Mike Overveld, our Chief Financial Officer. A year ago we announced that we'd address a persistent discount to our underlying net asset value by evolving our strategy and diversifying our business. This strategy has two main priorities. First, to develop new revenue streams that are both highly profitable and scalable, where Crown can act both as a direct investor and asset manager capital pools, such as distributed power and second, to improve the efficiency of our use of capital by shifting to a capital eight business model. I'm pleased with the progress we made on these strategic priorities in 2020, and I expect progress to accelerate in 2021. Tackling the easier of the two priorities first, we continue to see a reduction of our investment in credit assets, and we're using this capital to repay debt and repurchase shares. In Q1, we had some minor repayments and harvesting equity kickers in our Crown Partners Fund portfolio, And we sold a small portion of our interest in this fund as well to a third-party investor. We expect to see additional repayments and potentially further sales of Crown's interest in upcoming quarters. This portfolio remains in good condition overall. All expected interest payments are received, and our risk ratings improved on the whole from year-end. We will continue to actively manage each of the investments with the objectives of ensuring expected realizations and generation of our targeted investment returns. With Mill Street, we recently acquired Lumberman's Credit Group, one of Mill Street's operating subsidiaries. Lumberman's is an Ontario-based credit reporting company with a long and successful history, and our acquisition of of this business is a meaningful step towards recovery of value from Crown's Loan to Mill Street. During the first quarter, we continued to work with Penequity to advance their development assets and ultimately store value. In terms of recent developments of this loan, in March, we acquired 100% of the interest of PRC Stony Creek in exchange for non-cash consideration of $11 million, representing a portion of the loan we have outstanding to Equity, The company's assets include expected entitlements from completion of an earlier phase of the development, plus proceeds from adjacent lands that are being developed by Equity. As we've mentioned in the past, we view this as the most significant asset of the three principal properties. And in April, we acquired 100% of the shares of PRC Berry Corporation, whose assets primarily consist of a high-density land development in Barrie, in exchange for a non-cash consideration of $2.7 million, representing a portion of our loan estate into Penequity. Penequity continues to make good progress advancing this project, and the general market conditions of Barrie's have improved, aid in part by the current housing boom. The more difficult of our two strategic priorities is to transform the income statement, replacing much of the investment income with earnings from our developer partners, and over time, management fees from capital pools built around our distributed power and network services platforms. The first quarter is highlighted by continued growth of our network services platform, revenue stream, and operating profit. Network services generated an 11% increase to $6.4 million in Q1 2021, representing 45% of our total revenue in the quarter. This reflects additional Galaxy and its strong performance since the acquisition of fall 2020. There are lots of exciting activity underway in this platform with new technology as well as expanding the project pipeline. We continue to advance projects to provide network services to entire communities, and now have a qualified pipeline approaching eighty million. COVID has highlighted the need for better network connectivity, and we have a strong platform to address this with private enterprise customers, government entities, and communities, particularly those in remote and underserviced areas. We expect to augment organic growth would exist with additional acquisitions to add scale, new customers, and capabilities, as well as geographic presence. Work continues on this front as well. In the distributed power business, an additional project was completed and became operational in Q1, representing the fourth project generating lease revenue for the power fund. The fund has 12 other projects under development and is poised to see meaningful near-term increase of operating projects, with six projects expected to become operational in Q2. This increase should enable us to commence initial fund distribution in the third quarter and we hope to continue to build momentum during the year and on a pipeline of approximately $150 million of projects. With that, I'll turn it over to Mike to review the financials.
2: All right, thanks, Chris. Um, good morning everyone on the line. Uh, full filings were posted to CDAR last night, so uh, as usual, I'll just keep the comments here fairly brief and focused on Q1. Uh, I guess uh, looking first at the uh, at P&L, a total revenue in Q1 more than doubled year-over-year year to $14 million. Uh, compared with $6.4 million in Q1 of last year. And I'll just walk you through quickly the various revenue items to explain that variance. The biggest revenue item remains interest revenue at $6.6 million. Uh, That was down year over year. Uh, uh, I, 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 if you're looking at uh, uh, the components of that, Crown Partners Fund uh, had a higher contribution due to a higher average level of investments, as did Crown Power Fund, where we're also growing the asset base. However, we earned no income from on balance sheet investments compared with uh, $1.3 million last year. Uh, so in that, that relates uh, obviously uh, to the Mill Street and Penn Equity investments. Uh, so overall interest income attributable to shareholders was $1.1 million lower year over year. Uh, fees and other income remained pretty small in the mix, increased to 0.6 million dollars from 0.3 million dollars last year. Uh, biggest component of that uh, is uh, royalty revenue uh, being earned by Crown Partners Fund. Uh, where we saw a big swing were in two of the other revenue items, one being net investment gains, which went from a net loss of 3.2 million dollars in Q1 of last year to a net investment gain of 0.5 million this year. Uh, this year's uh, net gain included net realized gains of $1.1 million. Uh, that's pretty much entirely due to $1.2 million that we realized on exercising the VIQ solutions warrants that are held by the Partners Fund. Uh, those were exercised for shares that were sold in the period. Uh, on the flip side, we had a net unrealized loss of $0.6 million that includes a $1.2 million reversal of the unrealized gain we'd previously booked on the VIQ solutions warrants that became a realized gain in Q1. So pretty much, you know, uh, I guess, a wash in terms of Q1 reporting uh, on the sale of those warrants. But outside of that, if we look across the rest of the portfolio, uh, we did have net unrealized gains of $0.6 million. So a decent, a decent quarter there. Uh, the other big driver of year-over-year revenue growth as chris highlighted came from the network services businesses with network service revenue increasing to 6.4 million from 2 million last year
0: Uh, the primary driver of that's obviously the inclusion of revenue from galaxy which was acquired in q3 of last year but we would highlight uh, that network services revenue did show nice sequential organic growth compared with
2: uh, Q4, when we uh, reported $5.7 million in that item. On the operating expense side, uh, excluding the impact of acquisitions, G&A expense is about $300,000 higher year-on-year. Uh, most of that relates to legals and other costs related to our realizations on the Penn Equity and Mill Street loans. Um, so, you know, not something that we would expect to be recurring and recurring. Um, and that was offset by a similar level of decrease in salary expense. Also, if we're looking at this, excluding uh, the impact of acquisitions, uh, the salary uh, uh, net of acquisitions declined by about $300,000 year over year due to headcount reductions, made a crown, and also to the voluntary uh, salary decreases of senior management that came into effect at the beginning of this year. Uh, net result is that we reported improved earnings in the quarter uh, with net income of 1.4 million compared with a net loss of 1.2 million in Q1 of last year and a net loss of 2.4 million last quarter. So it's nice uh, to have uh, that back in positive territory for sure. Uh, a big contributor uh, of, of course to that was the network services segment. Um, that segment posted net income before income taxes of 1.3 million dollars. If we look at it before depreciation, amortization, and taxes, so you know, effectively EBITDA, network services sector posted $2 million uh, in Q1, uh, compared with $0.6 million a year ago. Uh, so it's becoming, uh, obviously, a, a, an important uh, element of our uh, earnings base as we move forward. Uh, first quarter AFFO uh, increased uh, to $4.5 million, it's $0.49 cents per basic share compared to $4.2 million or $0.44 cents per basic share in Q1 of last year. Uh, if we take a quick look at the balance sheet, total assets increased uh, from about $322 million at the end of 2020 to $331 million. Uh,
0: That's mostly due to
2: the acquisition of PRC Stony Creek that uh, Chris outlined. Uh, to be clear, that acquisition effectively converted about $10.4 million, previously classified as a loan investments into a number of asset liability items that had an aggregate net value of $10.4 million. The components of that are all detailed in Note 13 to our financial statements. Uh, and the net result is we ended up with two new balance sheet categories. One is a, an asset uh, item called Lease earnout note receivable that relates to uh, amounts uh, that we expect to receive in connection with that Stony Creek uh, lease up, and uh, we have a, a new mortgage payable uh, liability item that relates to that property as well. Uh, we exited the quarter with uh, cash and equivalents on a consolidated basis of over 21 million dollars. Total equity uh, increased to uh, 82.2 million dollars or nine dollars and ten cents per basic share up from eight dollars and 98 cents at the end of 2020. Uh, one item i would note um, that uh, that's an important if you're looking through these statements is that effective march 31st so last day of the quarter we did sell some of our stake in crown partners funds to new limited partners investing in that fund uh, that reduced our percentage ownership Uh, in Crown Partners Fund from 38.8% to 36.5%. That raised us $4.4 million of cash. In our Q1 results, uh, that uh, amount is included in the balance sheet uh, as a receivable. Um, uh, I guess at the Crown corporate level, um, it was received in early April and was applied as a reduction of our corporate debt. Uh, importantly, this sale occurred at a price equal to net asset value, such that it didn't result in a gain or loss, and it was consistent with the general plan that Chris has outlined to reallocate capital from direct investment in loans and in Crown Partners Fund towards other gro- growth initiatives and towards share buybacks. In terms of subsequent events, it's been a pretty busy period for our, ta- uh, for our team. Uh, uh, we have disclosed several notable events that took place in subsequent to Q1. You know, first is that we renewed our NCIB for another year commencing uh, on April 13th. We were quite active in 2020. We purchased just under 400,000 shares in the previous plan. We uh, have authorization to buy up to 600,000 shares over the next year uh, with our stock continuing to trade at discount uh, to reported book uh, value into what we believe its intrinsic value is. Uh, we believe buybacks continue to be a good use of capital. As Chris uh, also mentioned, on April 15th, we acquired the, uh, 100% of the equity of PRC Barry Corp. And on May 6th, we acquired 100% of the equity of Lumberman's Credit Group. Both transactions were primarily in exchange for portions of remaining balances outstanding on our loans to Penn Equity and Mill Street, respectively. And uh, three, uh, a major development that we announced on Monday uh, is that we entered into a new senior secured corporate credit facility that provides a total commitment of up to $41.5 million um, that we can can use to fund our capital commitments to the investment funds. uh, It it funds, obviously, existing investments, potential acquisitions, uh, uh, share uh, repurchases, and general corporate purposes. It's a far more flexible... Uh, loan than uh, the loan that we've just refinanced and uh, will will absolutely uh, provide us with the flexibility we need to see us through this next phase of our growth and transformation. Uh, details of the components of that uh, are, uh, I guess, provided in the various disclosures we've made, and I'm happy to explain uh, that to anyone that's interested in the Q&A session. Uh, with that, turn it over to uh, Chris for closing comments.
1: Well, great. <clears throat> Thanks, Mike. So the transition we're working through has encountered challenge along the way, uh, not the least managing through an unprecedented operating environment due to COVID. And we appreciate your support during this period. As we look ahead to the rest of 2021, we have clear line of sight to important catalysts and developments and are confident these will bring us much further along our path to becoming a capital efficient, diversified finance platform. Both network services and distributed power offer significant long-term opportunity for us as direct investor, asset manager, and a meaningful owner of development partners We look forward to updating you in coming months with that I'll open up for the call the call for questions
0: thank you sir ladies and gentlemen if you do have any questions please slowly press star followed by one on your touchstone phone you will then hear a three-tone prompt acknowledging your request and if you would like to withdraw your question simply press star followed by two and if you're using a speakerphone, we ask that you please lift the handset before pressing any keys. Please go ahead and press star one now if you have any questions. And your first question will be from Chris Murray at ATB Markets. Please go ahead.
3: Hey, good morning, folks. Um, just, you know, I guess the first question I've got for you, and and maybe Chris, if you can talk a little bit about, um, you know, the strategy, at least over the next year in terms of capital light, and maybe if there's any targets you have in terms of um, reduction in the in the partners fund, I think previously you talked about you know maybe something around uh twenty percent, but can you just talk a little bit about how um you think that the transition um, unfolds over the year?
1: Um, well there's a lot of moving pieces there uh, the probably the biggest one is we're seeing a, an acceleration of just certain deals coming back to us on their own uh so is that we either you get money, sell the portfolio or, or your interest or you get money from the portfolio, you end up in the same spot. So we have to, we're watching that. Uh, the second thing we're doing is like when we had stated that a year ago, um, you know, we were contemplating uh, taking potentially some discounts to that position uh, in selling it. And then we came and saw the progress of our portfolio and you know, matched against some of the prices we were seeing. Uh, decided that it was a far better strategy just to work through the assets. So, um, and, and in particular, there's a couple uh, deals in our portfolio we see significantly greater upside uh, than, than what the carrying value even is at right now. So, uh, those are all sort of moving pieces right now. I, I think the uh, combination of the uh, facility we've just picked up with ATB as well has changed that. So, we look at liquidity needs on one end and, and sources. Uh, liquidity on the other and uh and, and while we continue to see our reduction there we don't have necessarily have specific targets of the, the feel that we'll have plenty of liquidity for this year.
3: Okay. Sounds good. Um and then just turning to that credit facility. So you know one of the questions I have and I'm not sure uh Mike or Chris who wants to take this one. Um, so part of the facility it's sort of a step down function over the year. Um, there's a term loan that matures at the end of the year. Um, and I guess the revolver uh steps down over the year. You know, so I guess just part of that is, you know, thinking about, you know, one generating the uh, I guess the the cash flow to, to pay down that debt. Um, but can you just sort of explain the structure and why you structured it in such a way to to, to start ratcheting down?
1: Well, it goes back to the same comment that we have an, a a num- a number of deals in the process of monetization. And, uh, and that, that's, that's twofold, Chris. That's, you have deals that we started the process of bringing the money back many months ago, and just take time involved and time to pass, so we expect that money back. And then we also have a number of our borrowers um, doing really well, like really, really well. And, and when that happens, that tends to drive to prepayments. So if we're looking at the 70 odd million dollars we've got invested in that fund today, um, and you add those two things together, uh, there, there's a lot of money we're expecting back uh, this year. So, and there's things we want to do this year that don't necessarily mean we want to wait for that money to actually be in the bank and then, uh, so, and then have sit on cash and wait for that to happen. So it really is a, a portion of that loan, say half of that loan, is, is, is a bridge loan capacity to help transition us into the new things we want to do before the other money comes back.
3: Okay, that's fair. Um, And then just a quick clarification. um, I think in your script uh, on the call today, you mentioned that there were 12 other projects under development, but I think in the press release, it was seven, so just you can clarify that for me. Um, But I guess the other question I've got is, You know, when you look about the interest uh, income that came off the Power Fund with four operating units in the quarter, um, should we be thinking that that would be the kind of run rate we should be expecting as we go into uh, Q2 when the next six projects uh, start operating?
2: I think uh, interest revenue in aggregate from uh, 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 Power Fund includes. I, I guess two components, Chris. It does include some capitalized interest on projects that are under development, where uh, where the arrangements will see us uh, recoup that capitalized interest. As it will be capitalized as part of the lease. Um, and then we've also got, of course, the lease interest uh, revenue. So as we go here, you know, we're expecting. I think I can't remember the number. It's in the it's in the documents. It's like five or six, I think, projects isn't it, Chris, and Q2 are expected to turn on. Um, so over the so, so that may or may not have a big impact in the quarter, but the run rate on, uh, on certainly the lease interest component coming from that power fund should uh, begin to escalate in the next couple quarters. That won't be a trend because, of course, we've had a backlog of projects uh, that have been ready to be turned on. And, uh, and so once we have that surge, um, again, the, tra- the trajectory will, will stabilize a fair amount, uh, but we will see that pick up. I-, I wouldn't say that this is a run rate.
1: Yeah, okay. Chris, I think uh, the press release was probably a combination of um, 12 is the right number. I actually went through this morning and counted the ones that we have under uh, development. And I think part of it is we, we signed up a number of projects in April. Uh, so there might okay. just be a bit of a timing difference there.
3: All right, oh, that's, that's helpful. Thanks, folks. I'll, I'll pass the line.
1: Okay, Thanks Chris.
0: Thank you. Next question will be from Trevor Reynolds at Acumen Capital. Please go ahead.
3: Morning guys. Morning Trevor. Um, Can you maybe just uh, uh, talk a little bit more about the the pipeline that you mentioned on the the network services side and kind of what uh, what the timeline would be on
0: that
1: uh, that pipeline? Yeah it's it's, uh, so that that includes a number of uh, that's really just our community projects I highlighted there in the 80 million dollars, and um, you know some of that includes ones that are coming through the um, acquisition front, and uh, so I, I'm I'm hoping and some on the on the organic front. So we have uh, signed LOIs right now with a number of projects that are going through technical due diligence right now. Um, some are actually in legal closing. Um, so with with the view that some might even be live by July. So there's, that's probably on the earliest front. And some are in the process that they'll be moved through technical diligence and legals, and then uh, construction will begin later this year and, and live next year. But uh, I, I, we're going to start press releasing uh, communities as we as they move to binding contracts. So I, I expect you'll see some in, in Q2 get announced with with expected delivery dates and capital investment required. For those projects thanks that's helpful and then, um just on the the distributed power side of
3: things, uh, just maybe your funding relative to the number of projects that you have uh, signed up today and and what that looks like moving forward here.
1: so we have um enough equity capital to to take down uh about half of our pipeline we have right now so in terms of what's already in progress um we uh like th- that's already accounted for uh like bear in mind we haven't drawn down any leverage yet in that fund and uh and you know that's will provide significantly greater than the approximately 60 million dollars of of capital uh, we already have committed and then the goal is to is to upsize that fund like you know possibly in Q3 but most certainly by Q4 as we need to replenish that capital base. Got it. Thank you. Uh, and then just uh, maybe quickly on the, um, we have seen
3: a, an improvement in the the housing and realty market, and just you kind of touched on it, but does that uh, change your timeline at all on some of these um,
1: uh, projects that you've taken on balance sheet now? It doesn't change timeline. We were in high press mode to bring that project to market. Uh, we're in a a part of Barrie um, that's uh, by a hospital and by a you know a college. Um, there's a significant housing need that pre predated the COVID uh, situation. What's happened with COVID is called the B markets or the the bedroom communities of of the major markets are have seen a, a pretty significant lift. Uh, as people realize they can work a little more remotely, and, uh, and affordability is is you know, just pushing everybody out of, you know, the core uh, Toronto area. Um, so we, we've probably seen uh, just values increase by twenty or thirty thousand dollars per door. Uh, I would say that's that's a conservative measure. And uh, you know, we we, uh, we we have a plan to build four hundred fifty units on that site. Is what we're working through. So there's considerable leverage. There, and you know, one that it's hard to pick up an evaluation sense right now. But as you move the project through to uh, full entitlements, like that it takes land through the process of intensifying it, um, like that. That's and then getting the buildings approved and going through all the community consultations. Is was what the our team's doing now. Um, but uh, as I said, they're making good progress. The project seems reasonably well received by the municipality. Uh, the market certainly is is demanding that product to be there. So the whole goal is to get it to market as soon as possible. Perfect. That's uh, it for me. Thanks, guys.
0: Thank you. At this time, I would like to turn the call back over to Mr. Johnson.
1: Okay. Well, uh, thank you, everybody, for joining us this morning and uh, look forward to talking to you uh, next quarter.
0: Thank you, sir. Ladies and gentlemen, this does indeed conclude your conference call for today. Once again, thank you for attending. And at this time, we do ask that you please disconnect your lines. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's Investor Relations section on their website. See you next time.